after much prayer and consideration, I decided on that maybe unlikely, tragic portion of the Christmas story to use as a springboard for this morning's sermon. So let's begin by praying again. Would you bow your head with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we have endless things to be thankful for. So thank you, God. Recognizing you as the one who has made us and the one who sustains us, we thank you for life. We thank you for food to eat. Thank you for drink. We thank you for good, clean air to breathe. We thank you for this warm place in which to meet. We thank you for how the family you've given many of us. We thank you for the friendships you've given many of us. We thank you, God. And you know, Lord, because you are the author of our lives and the great director of our days and our plans, you know that many of us come here this morning and we have much to be sorrowful over. And we're not just thankful. And God, we do not want to be a detached people. We want to be a genuine people. We don't want to be a people who require that everything in our life go as planned in order for us to be happy and honor you. We want to be a people with some sort of rock-solid relationship with you that keeps us joyful no matter what circumstances we face. Uh, So we ask, Lord, as always, that you would work now by your Holy Spirit that He would use Your Word and speak to our hearts and speak to our souls. We are people who need our hearts spoken to, who need our souls spoken to. And all day long, our ears are spoken to, God, and we need things to sink deeper now. And we need truth from You to live. So we ask that You would do this great work in us this morning. We love you and give you all thanks and praise, glory and honor. And we do this in the great name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know the story, if you've read the whole thing, the Christmas story. And you know that within the first two years of Jesus' life, Herod the Great... uh, Hearing the news that a king and possible usurper of his throne was born, he ordered the mass murder of all boys who were two years old and younger who lived in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. And historians, as best they can, estimate that in that very small region... There were somewhere between 10 and 20 deaths that followed this order that he gave. Somewhere between 10 and 20 little boys lost their lives. And this, this tragedy is 
woven into the Christmas story. I mean, it may be the part that we read quickly because it's painful. But nevertheless, it is woven into our great Christmas story. The fact that Jesus was born amid the mass murder of children. And it is curious that roughly 2,012 years later, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus amid the mass murder of children again. And it doesn't work for us to, in the face of that kind of tragedy, just put our Christmas face on and wish you a Merry Christmas and sing about chestnuts roasting on an open fire and images of reindeers and Santa Claus and sleigh bells. It doesn't work. And as in the passage we read, as Rachel wept because her children were no more, so today are weeping the parents of Charlotte and Daniel and Olivia and Josephine and Dylan and Madeline and Catherine and Chase and Jesse and Anna and James and Grace and Emily and Jack and Noah, and Caroline, and Jessica, and Aviel, and Benjamin, and Allison, those 21st graders who lost their lives two Fridays ago. What do we say in light of that? Happy holidays seems inadequate. The truth is that common Christmas is useless to the sorrowful. And when I say common Christmas, what I mean is the reindeer and the sleigh bells and the Jack Frost nipping at your nose and the images of Santa Claus. These truths mean nothing to the sorrowful. Completely and utterly useless. And this is why, if you read your news, the lights and the trees... Many are coming down in Newtown, Connecticut. Because it just doesn't work. This is why if any one of you were to be standing across from one of those grieving parents, the last thing you would say is, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. And so, friends, I don't want us to be Christians who are disconnected and unplugged 
from the realities of this world. And just say our verses and and sing our songs and smile with our faces and ignore the tragedy within and without every one of us. Or to pretend like it's not happening or to just simply try to distract ourselves and not think about the the horrors in this world. The truth is, is that the way Christmas is commonly conceived, common Christmas is useless, useless to those who are sorrowful and its truths are inadequate and ineffective. However, that is not the point of this sermon. However, Christmas is for the sorrowful. Christmas is for the sorrowful. The truths that we should be remembering this season are exactly the truths that the sorrowful need to hear. And when we say Christmas, we mean simply, as our kids sang for us, we mean this when we say Christmas. We mean Christ the Savior is born. And that is Christmas. Christ the Savior is born. And everything around us is, should be pointing us to the truth. That Christ, the Savior, is born. We've got lights on our homes because Jesus is the light of the world. I hope. That's why you have lights on your home. We've got a Christmas tree in our home. An evergreen tree that stays green through the long, sorrowful winter. To remind us of the eternal life we have in Christ. Now, these Christmas truths are not inadequate. They are not insufficient. These truths are imperative for the sorrowful. The real truths that we should be remembering at Christmas are totally crucial. Crucial for the sorrowful. Now, Probably not what you expected this morning, but can we be honest with ourselves and admit that we are all sorrowful? Can, can we be honest, at least between you and you? Can we be honest that we are Sorrowful, not just sorrowful, not necessarily depressed, though some of you are, not just sorrowful, but sorrowful nonetheless. Because unless we as human beings, unless we have somehow isolated our minds and hearts from reality, we are all sorrowful today. I'm convinced that there are two categories of people 
in this room and outside this room right now. And those two categories of people are the sorrowful and the distracted. And every single one of you fit into one of those categories. You are either sorrowful right now or you are distracted because there is simply, there is simply too much suffering. There is too much suffering in your life, in your own heart. There is too much suffering in the lives around you and in the world around you for you to not be filled with sorrow. Now, some of us, as I do, we may distract ourselves because we think we can only be joyful if sorrow is absent. So we distract ourselves. We distract ourselves with any number of things. Alcohol, drugs, busyness, religion, philosophy, or even Christmas. But underneath, there is still, if we keep it real, underneath there is sorrow and brokenheartedness. We are all a, right? We are all a breaking news story away from sorrow. And the truth is that there are thousands of breaking news stories happening this very moment that would bring us great, great sorrow. And common Christmas and happy holidays and Santa Claus and an open fire are simply an inadequate and insufficient and ineffective match for sorrow. But, good news, but Christmas, Christ the Savior is born, is for those who are filled with sorrow. You hear this if you listen to Christmas songs. If you listen to Christmas songs, and when I say Christmas, I don't mean common Christmas We mean Christ the Savior is born. Christ exalting, Jesus Christ birth recalling songs. When when you listen to those songs, who are most of those songs written to? And who are most of those songs written for? Listen to the words. What, What is the emotional state of those to whom those songs are being written? What is the emotional state of those who are singing these songs? Listen to the words. Come all ye pining, hungry, and poor. The Savior's bounty taste. Behold a never failing store for every willing guest. Or the song we sung just a few minutes ago. To free all those who trust in Him from Satan's power and might. O tidings of what? Comfort and joy. Because it's being written to people who are in reality. As I hope we are all in reality. Who are sorrowful. And if we're sorrowful, we need comfort. 
And we need joy. And these Christmas hymns are saying the comfort and the joy will come as you remember that Christ, the Savior, was actually really born. Or a holy night where the words say, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared and the Spirit felt its worth. And what was born out of sorrow? A thrill. I love these words. A thrill of hope and the weary world, weary world rejoices For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. So let's just be honest with ourselves that we are the longing, we are the pining, we are the weak, we are the weary, we are the sorrowful. I know we all came with our Sunday best. And I know that people are going to ask you how you're doing and you're going to lie through your teeth. And you're going to say, I am great. And it's a total lie. We'll even exaggerate just so they don't ask again. I have never been better, brother. And you're not. You're miserable. Maybe you're distracted. But you're miserable and you have moments and you have seasons and you have hours when you're not distracted, where you're looking for something else to distract yourself because you're filled with deep sorrow. And it may not even be the news what's happened on the east coast of this country. It's the news that you have of the realities of your own life. And you're sorrowful. And so some Christmas songs don't work. But these Christmas songs, they work. Hear the sorrow and the weariness and the loneliness that Christmas somehow relieves. Here's what I'd like to do for the next few moments. Let's try together to not distract ourselves and lie to ourselves. Let's let's try to shoot for more than a very weak joy that is only happy in the absence of sorrow. That's weak. It's lame. And it comes and goes. And it's meaningless for you, right? Let us shoot for joy that is not weak, but joy that is strong, that is birthed out of great sorrow, no matter what kind of joy. Let's look for that in the Christmas story. Let's take our sorrow to Christmas. Let's do it like, I'm going to read something to you here, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Did. Some of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, author. Some of you may not know that he was imprisoned in Nazi prisons for preaching the gospel and for speaking out against a powerful dictator at the time. And he, he wrote these words on the first of two Christmases that he spent in this cold, dark prison in Nazi Germany. And he wrote this to his parents on Christmas, who he missed, but he was more worried about his parents 
than himself. And listen to how he brings his sorrow to Christmas. Viewed from a Christian perspective, Christmas in a prison cell can, of course, hardly be considered particularly problematic. Most likely, many of those here in this building will celebrate a more meaningful and authentic Christmas than in places where it is celebrated in name only. That misery, sorrow, poverty, loneliness, helplessness, and guilt means something quite different in the eyes of God than according to human judgment. That God turns toward the very places from which humans turn away. That Christ was born in a stable because there was no room for Him in the inn. A prisoner grasps this better than others, and for him this is truly good news. And to the extent he believes it, he knows that he has been placed within the Christian community that goes beyond the scope of all spatial and temporal limits, and the prison walls lose their significance. So with sorrow, let me read the Christmas story the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the story we come to sorrowfully. With sorrow, we we come to this trough. A place where animals go to eat in in a stable, a filthy, filthy place. And there we find, in this manger, in this trough, we find this baby boy. And somehow, the birth of this baby boy is good news to the sorrowful. Do you know who celebrates the birth of this baby boy? Do you know who looks down and sees this child in this trough and it causes them to be filled with joy? Do you know who finds joy in the birth of Jesus Christ? It is those who know they need to be rescued. And do you know who knows they need to be rescued? The sorrowful. When I'm not distracted, when I'm not numb, and when I feel 
And when there's pain, and when there is sorrow, I want rescue. Help. Somebody. Something. You felt that? Stop this. Take this away. This burden is too great. I feel like, right, like the prophets describe, like my bones are just crushing within me. You felt that burden, that weight, that sort of sorrow. There's no breath in your lungs or it's hard to breathe. It is those who are sorrowful who, who know they need rescuing. It is the pining, the longing, the desperate, the hurting. And this was the whole world. This was God's people who had followed His promises for thousands and thousands of years. Immersed in the reality of a world of sorrow, but had a promise to cling to that God made in the garden with Adam and Eve, where He said, I will send a rescuer. And He will crush Satan's head. And so they've been holding for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, holding on to this promise that God would rescue them. And so with great sorrow, then turned to great joy when they received the news that Christ the Savior. We celebrate that Christ the Savior is born. Not Christ the good teacher. Not Christ the great example. Not Christ the humanitarian, not Christ the philosopher, not Christ the the good man, not Christ the most moral of all creation, but Christ the rescuer, the savior. The good news of Christmas is that God fulfilled his promise and sent the rescuer in his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the news that the sorrowful need. Now, you know that Christmas is, for some, the happiest time of year. And for others, it's the saddest time of the year. More people will take their life this month than any other month of the year. It is true at Christmas that the happy get happier. And the sad get sadder. Common Christmas, it amplifies. If you're sorrowful, It amplifies it. It's this useless message. Go home, be with family, eat good food and spend money and warm yourself by a fire and exchange gifts. But is that... Seriously, is that it? Because if that's it, what if I don't have a family? What if I don't have food? Or what if I've... Just lost everything this year. And what if there is no money? And what if there is no warmth? And what if there is no friendships? And what if everything is uncertain? Then everything that I feel that hurts becomes amplified. It increases my sorrow. Okay, so with that backdrop of sorrow, what you, what we need to hear is Christmas Jesus Christ, the Savior, is born. That is how you can have joy in any circumstance. That's how why Mary was smiling. She was giving birth in a barn. 
in, in a barn amid animals. There was no place to, to put her newborn baby, so they did their best to clean out the feeding trough and fill it with hay. And yet she was smiling in these, these awful circumstances because the Savior was born. This is why wise men traveled across deserts to see this little baby boy. Because he was no ordinary baby boy. God's love and grace and mercy had broken through the sorrow. And they went to see the rescuer. This is why at an announcement of the birth of Jesus, even the angels sang a song. And this is why all of us still sing. This is why even with sorrow, with tears in our eyes, we smile because the rescuer has come. Now, I don't think anyone puts this into better, more heart affecting human words than Sally Lloyd-Jones when she describes the coming of Jesus in her book, The Jesus Storybook Bible. And so I want to read you her, her account of this birth of Jesus, of the, the rescuer that God had sent being born. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help His people just as He promised in the beginning. But how would He come? What would He be like? What would He do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Now Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, You're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He is the one. He is the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait. God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, 
And she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. And sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now, Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full, every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would be born. They couldn't find anywhere except an old tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world His wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born. His baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift. Wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus. Emmanuel which means God has come to live with us because, of course, He had. Two Christmas truths that are crucial, that are imperative for all of us this Christmas. Two truths that are crucial for those that we know of who are suffering unspeakable grief right now. Truths that emerge from God's Word and truths that prove true in this world. Number one, we need rescue. We need to be rescued. When something horrifying happens, we are reminded of the sinfulness of sin. We are reminded how bad it is and how bad it can be. And we are reminded of the wickedness and the evil that dwells within. We hear of it. We see it. We feel it. We're faced with this great hatred toward God that precedes the murdering of His children. And it reminds us that we need rescue. Some of you have somehow chosen to believe something that is more palatable than God's truth. And it is this notion that in the world today there are good guys and there are bad guys. 
And God saves the good guys. The truth is, friends, there are no good guys. And we are all bad guys. And Christ saves from among the bad guys. And there is not enough good that you or I could do to earn a rescue. Romans 3.23 puts us all uncomfortably in the same category as those we would call monsters in this way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and me, friends. And Romans 6.23, and the wages of sin is death. And we share this. And that provokes when by God's grace we believe it and feel it, provokes sorrow, deep sorrow. And we need, we know, to be rescued. That's truth number one. And truth number two. Your rescue is Jesus. No baby in that trough. No rescue. No baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And no hope for you. And no hope for me. Only a display of God's justice awaiting all of us. No baby born 2,000 years ago. And no reason to sing songs. And every reason to get the most you possibly can out of everything this world has to offer. Because this will be as good as it gets. But for those who look on that baby and have sorrow turned to joy, this is as bad as it gets. And it only gets better. Jesus does not take away our sorrow. But He brings joy alongside it. We don't come to look on this baby and this God-man with affection and belief and obedience and, and enjoyment and proclamation. We don't come into this relationship with Jesus and all the sorrow disappears. But while God does not promise to take our sorrow and necessarily change our sorrowful circumstances, He promises through Christ that joy will be right next to the sorrow. And hope will be in front of our sorrow. And so our sorrow becomes bearable. In fact, we are as joyful as we are because we are as sorrowful as we are. It is not incompatible. Our sorrow is what gives birth to the degree of joy that we have. So we don't need a distraction. We don't have to say to ourselves, I can't go there, or I can't think about this, or I can't handle this. This is what everything, the 
pulse of our world ruled by the kingdom of the air. This is the doctrine of this world trying to distract you and I from what we know is the the horror of sinfulness within and without. And if we can just distract ourselves long enough and convince ourselves long enough, we'll be okay. But by God's grace, He will break through that sorrow and bring us good news that Christ the Savior is born. But let us not pretend that we are not filled with sorrow. An author, Tony Ranke, reflecting on the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I read earlier, said this. Ironically, we can miss this meaning of Christmas if our celebration is only wrapped up in comfortable warm fires and the fellowship of friends and family. We can miss the memory of our desperation that required the Son of God to suffer for us. We can miss the personal desperation met in the manger. And we can miss out on the fellowship of his sufferings. Listen, this sermon is an attempt, believe it or not, to make your joy deeper the next couple days. For those of you who are not in Christ, that doesn't ring true. But for those of you who are in Christ... This is meant to make our joy deeper. He goes on. Personal suffering brings deeper meaning to Christmas. And in a season of suffering, the child of God discovers that he suffers not. Listen, please. In a season of suffering, the child of God discovers that he suffers not because God has drawn away but because God has drawn close to us convicts. Drawn close through a manger. Drawn closer to us than the hard prison cell walls of a cold Nazi prison. Close with the good news. God created the earth and all things in it And it was good. There was peace. There was harmony. There was health. While we know everything is no longer good, all that is still good is from God. The sunshine, family, friendship, food, rain, pleasure. As creator and king of all things and all people, God rightly calls us to honor him, to believe him, to know him, to obey him, to enjoy him, to proclaim him. And we don't. And this is called sin. In the beginning, our first parent, Adam, sinned. He exchanged God's way for his own way. He exchanged heavenly treasure for earthly trinkets, wrongly thinking it was sweeter. And we are all born like Adam. We all sin like Adam, running from God, running against God, saying no to God. Disobedient, rebellious, proud, independent, and indifferent. Thinking that we make better kings than God. We do not do what God commands us to do. We do what God commands us not to do. Sin is what accounts for everything dark and sad and sorrowful in the world. 
Thus we have gone from being friends with God to enemies of God. Under His righteous wrath, for God is angry with our rebellion, our selfishness, and our abuse of ourselves, of others, and His gifts. One day He will return and punish sinners by sending them away from Him to hell. And this because God is good and God is just. And we are far more sinful than we ever dared to believe. But God is also merciful. Jesus Christ came, lived, suffered, died, and was raised again in the place of rebellious sinners so that people like me may be reconciled to God and be transformed from objects of God's wrath into objects of God's affection. We are far more loved and accepted than we ever dared even to hope. The promise is that I must simply believe this good news and turn from my sin and turn toward Jesus to know Him, believe Him, obey Him, enjoy Him, proclaim Him, and I will be saved. My hope for us as a church is that we would have a sorrowful, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Our great Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for giving us a conscience to hear it. We thank you for giving many of us your Holy Spirit to help us discern it. And now, Lord, I ask that you would now, for my friends that are here today who are deep in sorrow, people here today who are weary, people whose sorrow is known and people whose sorrow is unknown. And Lord, I pray that you would remove every distraction, that they may feel the true weight of their sorrow. And the Lord, you would break through. That you would break through with this good news I just spoke of. That you would break through of news of a rescuer, your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom joy may be found, in whom eternal life may be found. God, our prayer for all of us is that we would not have a superficial, naive Christmas. That we would have a real and sorrowful and joyful Christmas. That we would, in tune with the realities of sin and death in this world, have a degree of sorrow in our hearts. But that we would, because of our knowledge of the truth of the gospel, we would be the happiest of people. We would be the most joyful of people. 
that we would enjoy our food. We would enjoy the drink. We would enjoy the gifts. We would enjoy the friends. We would enjoy the family if you should give them to us in the next few days. And we should enjoy these as we thank you, the great gift giver, knowing that all good things come from above. But thankful most for you. That you came, that you died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to you. Not the gifts you give, but you. For you are the greatest gift. We love you and give you all praise and glory and honor. We pray this in the great and glorious name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free audio podcast by Veritas Church. For more audio and video, please visit veritas-truth.com.